Tonight we are continuing uh, in our series of this whole semester of looking at what it looks like and how it is that God delivers people from bondage of all kinds. In the passage we're looking at, in the story we're looking at, uh, people who are actually literally in slavery and how it is that God takes people from slavery to freedom. And tonight, and as we saw last week, we began to see last week, we're going to look at this man who is terrified of what lies before him. This guy named Moses, um, God came to him in chapter 3 of Exodus that we looked at last week, and that's fine. Uh, if you aren't here, you can catch it on the podcast. Um, but God comes to Moses, and Moses was a very regular man. He actually was a murderer, but <laughs> I mean, other than that, he was a very regular man. And um, faults and failures, I'm sure, joys and successes along the way. But God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I am gonna, I'm going to use you to bring my people from slavery to freedom. And that freaks Moses out, quite honestly, because what he said that he would do is that Moses would go and speak to Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt at that time, one of the most powerful men in the world, And God told Moses he would go and talk to Pharaoh and say, Hey, Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go. And that, uh, quite honestly, terrified him. And I think it's so important that we continue the conversation. We kind of started last week about this because Moses was just a normal guy who God was calling him to do some quite extraordinary things. But he was very normal. And that place where he found himself led him to a place of great fear and insecurity. And I think it's worth us taking another look at these initial conversations between God and Moses, because I think, quite honestly, some of us are there. As we think about what God might be doing in our lives or what he may be asking us to do, it's just kind of a a scary place. And so let me pray for us, and we're going to read this passage uh, and look at it together. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would come by your spirit and meet each of us here. Um, We know that uh, we are different people. We have different stories. And we all have different uh, experiences. But we we have similar needs. Most of us in here have insecurities that are, are just so rampant that at times they're paralyzing. Some of us have real fears that keep us from ever moving out into the open and letting people know the real us. Others of us think that our lives are together and we're one failure away from just falling apart. And there are others in here who don't know why they're here. Friend, drug them. And I pray that you would meet all of us where we are and give us what we need, which is your son, Jesus. And we pray that you would do that. By your spirit, in his name, amen. Let's read uh, this passage together. I'm going to stand at the side so you all can see that. Uh, Exodus chapter 4. And then Moses answered, he's having this conversation with God, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. 
And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the, on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. That ends the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Um, in the, the 2010 movie, King, uh, The King's Speech, uh, that movie captures this crisis in the British Empire uh, in the 1930s, particularly 1936. And the crisis was that uh, King Edward VIII had proposed marriage to uh, this American socialite by the name of Wallace Simpson. Now, Wallace was... Uh, quite the socialite, actually. Just um, in the movie, captured it well. She just throws these extravagant parties. She had been divorced once, and she was currently, uh, or she was at the time uh, going to, uh, in the process of getting divorced from her second husband. Now, what that meant was, uh, because King Edward, the King of England is also the head of the Church of England, that meant that uh, he could not marry a woman who still had let me get this straight, who had husbands, divorced husbands, whatever, that were still alive. It was a violation. It's actually a violation of Scripture. Therefore, being the head of the Church of England, it was a violation of his kingship. And as great as that, that crisis became on a political level, and it was, it was quite a crisis, it was no less great a crisis for King Edward's younger brother, Albert, who would assume the throne in Edward's presence. You see, Albert, Albert was a great man, but he had one problem. He couldn't speak. He had a painful stutter. He stammered. And as Albert, who took on the name George VI, faced this opportunity that he never wanted, including a coronation speech, and then at the end of the movie, a speech to uh, take Britain, Britain into the World War, he looked at his wife and through his broken, stammering diction uttered these words. I'm not a king. I'm a naval officer. That's all I know. Like Moses in this story and King George in the movie, 
when some of us think, when some of us consider what God looks at and calls people who follow Him to do, and when He tells you that if you follow Him, then He's going to involve you in this process of taking people from slavery to freedom, we all have a real similar response. It's fear. Oh my gosh. No. So our natural, when that happens and when we start thinking about how God involves us in this process of bringing freedom to this world, our natural limitations begin to just come to the forefront of our minds. They dominate us. And our insecurities bubble up to the surface, and we start thinking of reason after reason of not only why God wouldn't want me, but beyond that, why God would certainly not want to use me. Right? And maybe you, like Moses, don't speak well. Or maybe you consider yourself to be an introvert, and you've thought that is some sort of Potmark on your character or on who you are. I talked to a, a freshman a couple of years ago at, um, it was actually at orientation, you know, where there's the big dance and uh, you can, <laughs> there's not much bigger dividing line between extroverts and introverts than that thing. So it's like, you know, the introverts are all over just eating pizza, like hoping no one talks to them and the extroverts are all like, you know, dancing. And so I, I like to go hang out over by the pizza and try to talk to people. And, um, and I talked to this guy and we got talking and he was very honest with me. He uh, was an introvert, and he actually thought that it was like a curse by God. Uh, so maybe that's a reason that, you, that you, brings you to fear as you think about God using you. Or maybe like me, uh, this past week, uh, you've looked up and your, your failures, uh, your limitations as a person, for me, as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, all the different hats that I wear. Guys, I met failure at almost every turn in this last week. And it literally had me about one thought from the fetal position. And I'm not kidding. I was just plagued by this sense of inadequacy and, and, and failure in not living up to this expectation that I had for myself or that others had for me or that I thought God had for me. One time I had talked too long at this thing. Another time I said the wrong thing. And together with Moses, and I hope with you as we look at this passage, I want us to see how it is that God calls frail people to be a part of his rescue plan. And I want us to see if what to do whenever we look at ourselves when we realize God is calling us to that. When we look at ourselves and we look and say, who, me? Please, God, no. Let it be someone else. Don't, don't use me. So tonight we're going to see how God addresses the fears of Moses. And then we're going to see how we might take comfort in God's solution to Moses. So there's two things. There's two things we're going to see. First is this, that God uses what we have. And second, that God gives you what you need. So he uses what we have and he gives us what we need. Let's look at the first thing. Moses, uh, Moses was a shepherd, okay, and shepherds have staffs. This, um, <laughs> they use those staffs to beat their little sheep into submission and get them back into line. Um, but you need to understand that Moses was just, when God came to him, he was just out in the field. He was just presumably doing his normal duties of the day. 
It wasn't as if Moses had received an invitation from God and you know, he had to fret over what he was going to wear. Oh my gosh, should I wear this cloak or this cloak? And should I take my staff or should I take this? No, he, he's just out in the field and he's got a staff. Right? He's out there doing his thing. Um, and it's funny because it's like God comes to him and says, uh, and Moses is freaked out and he's thinking, God, no, don't use me. And Moses said, okay, I'm going to make it clear that I'm with you so that you can talk to people and be confident. Moses, what's in your hand? Uh, a staff? Okay. Uh, a staff it is. Take your staff, throw it on the ground, and when he does, it becomes like a snake. Now, we're thinking, that's crazy, that's miraculous. It was. Um, and one of the reasons that we can actually trust that what the Bible is saying is true in this is that Moses wrote this story. And if he was trying to write a story where he looked like this big stud figure, you know, that like never, was just macho guy that never went out, why would he have written that? He writes, if you look in there and it says, when he threw this, the, the staff down, it became like a snake and he ran, right? He ran from it. He was freaked out like, oh my gosh, this was a staff and now it's a snake. Uh, and so um, it's telling the truth. Okay, so God then looks at Moses and says, Moses, what else do you have? Well, I, I've got my cloak I and mean, I've got this robe. Okay, that works. Um, put your hand inside of it and then take it out. And when Moses does it, his hand has leprosy on it. It's white as snow. And so Moses then puts his, uh, you know, God tells him, put it back in, take it back out, and it's healed again. And if not that, Moses, then just take some water from the river and pour it on the dry ground, and it'll be like blood. God is coming to Moses saying, I am with you. They will believe you when you do these signs. And the reason that I want us to see that Moses is just this ordinary, real person, and that God actually just uses ordinary, real people, is because we just don't believe that. We just don't believe that. Most of us, if we would be honest with ourselves, we think that God only uses kind of these people around us who seem to have things together. And that God uses the, the, natural, the people with natural gifts. And the people whose lives are like one puzzle piece away from just becoming this massive, beautiful picture. You know, they just need that one last thing. Ooh, they get Jesus, now it just works. And those are the people God uses. The reality is, is that God uses very normal, natural people like Moses who have stutters and who are insecure and who don't want to do it and who complain about it. And God uses them. So you're sitting there thinking, Brent, I don't have any special ministry gifts. I don't, I don't think I have anything to give God. How? Why would God want me? How could he use me? Actually, maybe you just look at yourself and you just don't think there's much good about you to begin with, not to mention not having any gifts. You just don't think there's much redeemable about you, and you struggle to wonder really most of the days why God would even want you. So you're in that spot where you say, who, God, me? Please, no, don't let it be me. Use somebody else. What do you have? What do you have? Because if your faith is in Jesus, if you have accepted His free grace and love, then God wants you. And He wants what you have. He doesn't want what you might get one day or what after years of practice you might have. He actually just wants what you have right now. He wanted you, the real you that sits right here tonight. He didn't want the ideal you 
after you get everything cleaned up and kind of put together. God actually just wanted you with what you have, with what you bring to the table. And He wants to use you to spread His message far and wide. He wants to use you to bring healing and redemption to places of brokenness and depravity. And He wants to use you in what you have. He wants to use you to take this beautiful, magnificent idea and this beautiful kingdom which God says He is working in to make sad things come untrue. He actually just wants to use you because He loves you and He wants you and He likes you and He doesn't want some false you. He wants the real you that's sitting right here tonight thinking that's nothing could be further from the truth. Why would God want this? And I want to say that if you are a Christian tonight, then He chose you and He rescued you and He wanted you for you because He saw something in you that sometimes we don't see for ourselves. He looked right at the core of who you are. And he saw someone who is created in His image. And that makes you valuable. And that makes you worthwhile. And that makes you worth it. And He says, I wanted you. And if He's got you, then He wants you for what you have. But that's not all, because not only does He use us for what we have, but as He brings us in and sends us out, He gives us what we need. So from what we see in this passage, Moses' biggest insecurity and this thing that, that, uh, that he, the reason that he doubts that God will actually use him is that it says he literally doesn't speak well. And this is really comical when you consider what God's about to do with Moses over the next few chapters. Because um, Egyptian historians and scholars will tell you that the Egyptian magicians, who are going to come onto the scene in a couple weeks, that Egyptian magicians were also these great orators who just spoke with tremendous eloquence and excellence. And they, they just had powerful words. And so Moses is rightly sitting here freaking out as he's about to go into the presence of Pharaoh, and he, he stutters. I mean, whatever it is that he does isn't going to work, and he's terrified. And God responds to Moses in verse 11 and says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So in the face, right there in the face of Moses' very real inadequacies, the Lord looks at Moses and says something like this. Stop looking at you and start looking at me. Now go. I will be your mouth. In the Hebrew, he's literally, the I will be is him saying, I am. What he just told me, it's his name. I am your mouth, Moses. I will give you words to say. It's not about you. It's about me and what I'm going to do through you. And I freaking love Moses at this point. Because God's just given him all these crazy signs, like this immense leprosy and the staff snake thing. And he's right there in the middle of this. And I just imagine at this point Moses is like crying. He's like, no, God, no, please, not me. Because he's seen this burning bush and this voice is talking to him out of it. And the voice later says, by the way, I'm God. You know, and Moses is like, please, no, gosh, I can't do this. Yes, Moses, you will. No, God, I can't. Back and forth, back and forth. And I just, Moses has got to be melting down, crying, saying, God, no, please, no. And he looks up one last time. 
says, God, no, don't use me. Don't do it. And the Lord literally looks up and it says that his nose got hot with fire. <laughs> like, you know, like a bull, like in a cartoon's nostrils get really big when it's angry and it's charging. That's kind of what this is saying. Like, God got really mad at Moses. And we don't really know what that means, but his, it says that his nostrils were hot. And so... Um, <laughs> Uh, God is angry, and um, we would kind of expect at this point that God finally like does away with Moses and kicks him to the curb and is like, all right, Moses, we're done. You've complained one too many times. And it's right in the middle of that that God shows us his kindness. God looks at Moses and says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? By the way, I've already sent him. He's coming, Moses. He's going to come and be your mouth, and he's going to speak for you. Just take your staff, and look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go do it. God, it's really important to see that God didn't like retract his call on Moses. He didn't, in the face of Moses cowering back, God didn't say, Okay, Moses, sorry, you're off the hook. Here's Aaron. He's going to do it. God says, All right, Moses, I'm going to use you still, and you're going to talk to Aaron. He's going to talk for you. Like the call is still on Moses' life to go out and do this. But God gives him just what he needs and more. And that is just like God to do that. He is gracious over and above what we could imagine. In the New Testament, um, the Apostle Paul, when he writes the, the second letter of the church in Corinth, he's looking at a bunch of people. If, you, if you're ever like feeling bad about yourself and the stuff you're involved in, just read Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, these people, right, he's writing a church, and he's warning them, like, uh, don't be incest, uh, stop getting drunk, stop lying. All these things are really pretty awful. Um, so he writes them a second letter because I guess you know, they haven't gotten much better. And um, he's telling them in the first chapter that he says, uh, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul's saying, look, I'm just here to serve you. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of the God in the face of Jesus. Long sentence. Here's the important one. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. What Paul is saying is that God intentionally puts this tremendous gospel message, this powerful message that God loves broken people and that he loves failures, that God takes that message out in fragile jars of clay called you and me. That if you look at yourself and think, I can't do, do this, you've actually just qualified yourself to do this. That's what Paul's saying. If you think you're fragile and insecure and just barely hanging on, God actually is inviting you in to take the gospel forth for this reason. That when people's lives are changed, he doesn't want anyone looking at us and saying, wow, you're really awesome. He wants people looking at you and saying, wow, you're not much to look at, but that is awesome. That as we carry forth this treasure of the gospel in our broken bodies, people see the cracks and they, they see this, this treasure, treasure shining through. And they want it. That's what God promises to do. Uh, a friend of mine who does uh, RUF um, up in North Carolina, he, uh, we were talking about this, and he called me right after this meeting that he had with a student. And the student was one of his small group Bible study leaders. And the guy had come to my friend and was confessing to him a lot of, a, a lot of stuff, a lot of sexual failure and, and just kind of 
outright things that he wasn't proud of and was quite ashamed of. And he was certain that he was coming to tell Matt this stuff and that Matt would turn around and say, well, you know, I guess you can't leave the Bible study anymore. But Matt said that as this guy talked about it, it was clear that he was remorseful and hated what he had done and kind of this, this past that he had led. And Matt looked at him and said, man, do you know that you're forgiven in Jesus? He said, oh, yeah. He said, great. He said, you're probably going to have the best Bible study we have all semester because you realize your need for Jesus. You realize how broken you are and how only God can sustain you. That's exactly what Paul says, and that's exactly what is happening to Moses as God looks at him and confirms what he is doing. God's grace is greater than our sin. He overcomes that. He overcomes our inadequacies and our insecurities. He loves to use broken people that are looking to Jesus. So look, as we, as we think about Moses and the difficulty he has in accepting this call that God has put on his life to go out and to bring people from slavery to freedom, there's this overwhelming sense that at every turn God is saying to Moses, as I said already, stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your inadequacies. Stop looking at your failures and look at me and my success and my adequacy. Moses, it is not about you. So does it ever get any better for Moses? Does it ever change? Does he ever get to a place where he realizes God can use him in spite of him? He struggles for quite some time. I'll be very honest with you. He struggles with it. But we read in the book of, uh, in the book of Numbers, which is this whole book about the people of Israel wandering around in the wilderness. Um, and I'm going to move so we can read it. Um, but it says this in 21. It says, From Mount Hor they set out uh, by the way to the Red Sea and to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he can take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Look, God tells Moses to make a snake and to put it on a pole, and when people look at it, even though they've been bitten by these poisonous snakes, when people look at that snake, they will live. And so what does Moses do? He takes a snake and he puts it on a pole, and when people look at it, they live. Through Moses' life, through this time of walking with God and experiencing Him and, and, and failing Him, no doubt, but, but trying to follow Him, Moses got to a point where he just, it wasn't about him. God told him to do something, and he did it, and God does what He promises to do. Thousands of years later, God would look at Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus would look at a man named Nicodemus, who was asking him how one can be freed or saved. How one can escape the venom of the serpent called sin. And Jesus looks at him and says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, which was one of Jesus' famous ways to describe himself, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. The good news of what Jesus came to do was that He is sitting here looking at Nicodemus and He looks at every one of us and says, Stop looking at yourself. Stop fixating on all of your failures. Stop fixating on all the things that you seem to can't, can't seem to stop doing. And look at me. Look at my cross. I came and I took your failure on me so that you wouldn't have to live under the crushing weight of it. And He calls us to look up at Him. And He delivers us. When we do that, He delivers us from slavery to sin and brokenness to a life of joy and freedom. And He does that when we stop trying to bring what we have to God and say, God, look at me. When we stop trying to do that and when we realize that God the whole time has been saying, look at me. I'm the only one who is sufficient to bring you salvation. I am the only one whose lifetime has been sufficient to cover your lifetime of failure. Look at me. Look at Jesus and what He has done for you. And when you do that, Jesus says, you'll have eternal life. Just like the people looked at Moses' snake and lived, whoever looks at me hanging on that cross lives forever. I'm going to make a few points of application and then we'll be done. For some of us in here tonight, we've been Christians for quite some time. Um, maybe we grew up in the church. Maybe you, I don't know, became a Christian in high school or something. And you've, though you would probably never say it out loud, you've just kind of been sitting on the side. And you don't really know what it would look like to be involved or to, to serve God or anything like that. Um, and you've been telling God all of these different reasons why He can't use you and why you know you're not good enough and why you, know, you shouldn't join a church and, and join them and what they're doing to spread uh, the gospel and to seek redemption um, here in Tulsa or back at home or whatever. And I, I just want you to look at uh, to hear Jesus telling you to stop looking at yourself. To stop looking at all the reasons and the things you think you don't do well and to look at Him. And He says, I want to use you because it's not about you. It's about me. I love you and I'll use what you've got and I'll give you what you need and I am going to use you. I'm going to involve you in this. Now go. And for some of you, that means that you go join a church and you show up 30 minutes early every Sunday and you unstack chairs. And for some of you, it means that you actually have a conversation with your roommate that you've been terrified to have because you just don't know what, how it would go and you don't know what all you would say. And for some of you, it means that it's time that you start studying this faith that you think is so important. It's time that you start giving a crap about it. And so if someone comes to you or, or they see the way that you live and they ask for a reason for this hope that's within you, that you can tell them, like, well, this is what this means. Here's my story. Here's how God has changed me. Others of you in here may have just had weeks upon weeks like the week I just had. And you just look at your guilt. You look at the shame from your failures and all sorts of things. And again, you wonder if God even wants you, much less if He would want to, to use you. And I can tell you that the only thing that was bringing me out of the funk that I was in this last week or so is when I had people around me saying, 
You've got to stop looking at you and your failure and start looking at Jesus. You have to look at the cross, which is God's picture of how much He loves you and cares for you and is for you. Stop fixating on yourself. I'm going to tell you the same thing. Look to Jesus. He is enough. You are not enough. You fall so far short, and you know that. You feel that. He's calling you to look at Him. God receives failures and He gives them life. And finally, uh, there are some of us in here who have never trusted in Jesus. We've never taken God at His word that He actually loves us. And that Jesus takes all of our failures from us and gives us His right standing before the Father. Some of us haven't um, ever thought that. I, I want you to hear me very clearly at this. If you haven't listened the whole time, listen to this. That being a Christian is not about doing stuff for God. I've been saying that a lot tonight because that's what Moses is going through. But being a Christian is not about just entering this thing and just starting to perform for God and just getting busy so that God will be happy with you. Why? Because if that's the case, it's still all about you. It's about your success or it's about your failure. And the gospel is calling us away from that and saying, look at Jesus. So don't just try to come and be good. Or don't think you're too bad. Look to Jesus who is good for you and who is bad in your place. Look, God calls us, all of us, wherever you find yourself along that spectrum. He calls you to join this thing that He is doing called the church. I could give you some great church recommendations. I'd love to talk to you about what you should be looking for in a good church. But if you are a Christian, God calls you to join yourself to a church that preaches the gospel and that wants to get out and seek renewal and, and, and redemption in all things. And you know what? The church is really screwed up. It really is. Because I'm in it. And because you're in it. And because it's made up of a bunch of broken vessels. A bunch of jars of clay who in and of ourselves aren't much. But who, when we look at the one who has redeemed us, Jesus Christ, then we can be something. Because we stop looking at ourselves and we can start looking at Him and at others. And God calls you to be a part of that. Let's pray.